Hey, Amen. I want to check it out. There's this uh, couple who had been married for 25 years, okay? And uh, they were celebrating the husband's 60th birthday. How many of you guys have been married for 25 years or more? All right. Now, those of you who are married that long, you should raise your hand. Anyway, whatever. So, so they've been for 25 years, right? And they were celebrating the husband's 60th birthday. And so during the party, all of a sudden, I kid you not, listen, a fairy appeared and said that uh, because they'd been such a wonderful, loving couple all those years, that she was going to give each of them a wish, right? So the wife, she got to go first, and she says, well, you know what? She said, we've, we've been so poor all these years, and I've never gotten to see the world, and I, and I wish we could travel all over the world. So the fairy, she waved her wand, and poof, the tickets were in her hand. They got to go and travel the world, right? All ready to go. Well, next, obviously, it's the husband's turn, and he paused for a moment, and then he selfishly said, listen to this. Well, I'd like to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. Yeah. So the fairy waved her wand, and poof, he was 90. <laughs> now how many guys would say that's a case of instantaneous justice right there that's what you get pally right for doing something like that okay and believe it or not folks uh, if you and i are going to do some instantaneous justice to the skeptical questions we keep getting asked about god uh we better get back to studying the bible amen okay and uh and not relying on some sort of fairy or weird technique to fix it for us we need to have the answers ourselves okay and i say that because the problem is this there's a trend going on today and not only are christians not studying the bible but hello churches are not preaching the bible okay and now the fruit of this is this we now have churches full of christians who are acting like practical atheists oh we say we believe in god of course that's the basic answer you got to have right on the test so to speak okay but folks the, the proof is in the pudding half the times with our lips and our lives what are we doing we're getting a whole different impression. We're acting like God's not even there or part of the equation. And again, it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. People are watching us, okay? And it keeps them from believing in God. Therefore, to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like practical atheists by not knowing who God is. Oh, by the way, give it up for Aaron. Man, you guys have no idea for the last hour what in the world we've been trying to mess with. Uh, getting this thing ready to go. But that's right. Uh, who is God? How are you going to defeat this practical atheist? Well, you need to get back to the character of God. Who is God? And of course, we get to make that up. No, that's the problem today. Hello. Uh, we get back to the word of God. He tells us who he is. Now, we've already seen the first thing about God. Hello, he is real. Okay, this is not some pipe dream. The second thing, he is personal, i.e. we have an intimate, loving, personal relationship with God, the creator of the universe, through Jesus Christ. Not some dry, stale, boring, man-made religion. The third thing, hello, God is wise. He knows some things. No, he knows all things. Therefore, the point is, why in the world will we go anywhere else for wisdom? And that's the problem, isn't it? We listen to everything else but God, and we get in all kinds of trouble, okay? Then the last three times, we saw the fourth thing, hello, God is sovereign, okay? Now, once again, let me define the sovereignty of God. That means this, all things, how many things? All, all things are under God's rule and control, and that nothing happens without his direction or his permission, Okay, as we saw, when we understand this truth about God's sovereignty from the scripture, it not only revolutionizes our walk with God, hey, it begins to answer some of those skeptical questions we get asked about God. Like, we're, you know, did God create evil? No, he didn't. It came from Satan. What about evil and suffering? Why does it occur? And that's what we saw last time, the third skeptical question. And that was just that. Why does suffering occur? All right? And there we saw that uh, it occurs because of one of four options every single time. It could be because of your own sin. It could be because of other people's sin, living in a sinful world. Number three, it could be spiritual warfare. Yeah, that stuff's real, folks, okay? But we saw the good news was it doesn't matter which one of those first three it is. God has promised for those who love him, do you love him today? Hello, then here's the great promise. Don't reject this. Would you receive it? We're going to talk about it again today. God will take it all and turn it around for good, for his glory, and for our highest good. Isn't that awesome, okay? He's the only one who could recycle our problem, even our own mistakes, okay? He's absolutely incredible. But that's not all. The fourth question that I believe gets answered when you and I begin to understand the sovereignty of God, and that is this, all right, well, what good can come from suffering, right? What good can come from suffering. Now, the reason why I say that is because if you've been paying attention, again, I just did it again, and every single week we've been on this topic, I keep saying that God's gonna turn around for good. God's gonna turn around for good. Just trust him, take him in his word, believe him, trust him, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. He's always got the best plan. He's gonna do it for, and but for some reason, here's the problem. We resist this. We resist this wonderful truth, okay? And this resistance to the biblical truth that is what pours salt on our wounds. It's bad enough we got to go through problems, amen? Why in the world would you pour salt on the wound? 
And that's what we do when we resist this wonderful biblical truth that God is in control of all things, listen, including our pain. And he's promised for those who love him. I will. God promised it, not me. I will turn it around for our good. He is absolutely sovereign over everything. But again, as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to his. Matthew chapter 10 is our opening text. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read verses uh, 24 through 31 there. Matthew chapter 10. And uh, take a look at just how much does God know? How much is in he in control of? Okay. Matthew chapter 10. And uh, starting again there with verse 24. Okay. And again, this is what Jesus is talking about. Hey, it's good. You're gonna, if they're going to, you know, didn't like Jesus and, and he went through hard times for the greater good, then guess what? It's going to happen to us. But of all things for God, Jesus, to remind the disciples of, it's his sovereignty. Trust him. You can, it's okay, okay? And that's what we're going to see in this passage there. And let's take a look at verse 24. Jesus said, now a student is not above his what? Teacher, nor a servant above his master and it is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master now if the head of the house has been called beelzebub i.e jesus was called that how much more than who the members of his household they're going to do it to us too right so do not what jesus said don't be afraid of them there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed did you know that god sees everything even the rotten things done to us and did you know he always has the last word and that's why he says, no, uh, vengeance is the lawyer. No, I mean, I'm sorry. Vengeance is the Lord. He'll take care of it. How many of you guys learned that God dishes out way better spankings than anything we could ever think of? Trust him. And that's what he's doing. He says, listen, nothing's uh, uh, concealed that's not going to be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark then, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who what? can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the, what? Will of who? Your father, God. In fact, listen to this. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So here's the point. Knowing that God is in control to that degree, even the amount of hairs on our head, what's he say? So don't be afraid. How many times did he say that in this text? You are worth more, he says, than many sparrows. Okay? So God, we see here in the text, Jesus speaking, by the way. He not only knows all things, but he knows everything, even to the point of every single hair that's on our head. And granted, for some of us, that's a bigger feat than others, but I'm not going to go there. There's no need for that. But seriously, folks, uh, if God knows every hair on our head, this is common sense, right? If he knows every hair on our head, then don't you think, listen, specifically, he would know every single pain that we would ever experience in life. Of course, it's common sense. And that's why he's saying, what are you, what are you worried about? Don't be afraid. What's the big deal? Don't you understand who I am? Okay? In fact, these verses that I'm talking about right here is, here's another big phrase, okay? There's God's sovereignty, but there's also what's called God's providence, Okay, that's their theological term there, God's providence, okay? And I want to show you some more verses, that was just one, speaking about God's providential control over all things, okay? Let's take a look at just a few of those verses that say that. Uh, Proverbs 16, 1, to the man belongs the plans of the heart, but who's in control? But from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Proverbs 69, in his heart, a man plans his course, woo but, but who's in charge here? But the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16, A lot is cast into the lap, but it's what? Every decision is from the Lord. He's in charge. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans of man's heart. Yeah, I want to do this. I want to, yeah. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. He's in charge. Proverbs 20, 24. A man's steps are directed by who? The Lord. So how then can anyone understand his own way? Right? He's the one that's in charge of it all. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart. Whose heart? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Not to get sidetracked, but do you realize that, folks, sometimes we get the rulers we deserve? You want to turn from God? You want to kick him out of your courtrooms? You want to kick him out of your schools? How about a godless ruler? How's that for you? You going to turn around yet? He's not doing this because he's mean. He's doing it because he loves us and he wants us to come back to him. How bad does it got to get before we will wake up? We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. Oh, Lord, you have what? You have searched me and you know me. Listen to this. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my what? My th- well, he even knows what I'm thinking? Woo! 
Okay, from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Listen, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord. You could say that like that too. Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, Lamentations 3, 37 to 38. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? He's in charge of everything. And Daniel 1, 9 says, Now God had caused... He had caused the official to show favor and sympathy uh, to Daniel. Daniel 2.21, he, God, changes the times and seasons. Who? God sets up kings, and God is the one who disposes him. And finally, Acts 17.6, listen to this. From one man, Adam, he, God, made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And who? He, God, listen, determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Isn't that wild? Turn to somebody and say this, you were supposed to live in Vegas. <laughs> I didn't say that, God did, right? He's the one that did it, right? You thought you had your plans, but no, he, before the creation of the world, you're going to end up in Vegas. It's okay, it's a good thing. It's a good witnessing feel, okay? And, uh, but I don't know about you, but it's clear, and that's just a sampling of what's, again, called the providence of God, what the Scripture teaches. He is sovereign. He's in control of all things, okay? Ordering all events. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing, therefore, willy-nilly, random, chance going in our lives, right? How can there be? Including our pain. Hmm. See, because isn't that the problem? Because, see, oh, when something's good, oh, yeah, God worked it out. It's awesome. It's incredible. But when we go through a hard time, we act like he's on the backside of Pluto. What happened, God? Didn't you get the email? (sighs) He is sovereign and providential in control of all things. Now, again, you don't stop there because then it's like, oh, boy, is that fatalism? No, we still have a relationship with him. And you slap it together with this verse. I've been quoting, I don't know how many times, this is the icing on the cake with this truth, right? So what's God going to do even with our pain? He orchestrates all things. He's not the author of sin, but he'll use even sinful things for what? Good. I didn't say he did. Romans 8, 28. And we know that how many things? All things. Why? Because God is sovereignly in control, right? And that all things, God works for the good of every single person on the planet. No. For those who love him. His children, Right? Those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Okay? Now, this to me is just absolutely wonderful news. I don't know why we would resist this. But you, to me, talk about the ultimate healing to the broken heart. It's got to be all these verses, God's sovereignty, his providence, coupled with Romans 8, 28. This is just absolutely wild. I mean, to me, it's one thing to know that we're saved. Anybody glad you're not going to hell? Anybody glad for the cross of Christ? We sing songs about the blood of Jesus. Woo, yeah, it's all gone. Before we even get to heaven, no matter what we go through in life, what's the scripture say? God's in control, and I'm going to work everything, including your pain for good. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's just like the double whammy. That's just, whoa. I mean, it was cool. I'm not going to hell. But you throw that in on top. It's just like, this, it just keeps getting better. Now, I said all that to get to this point. Folks, why do we resist this? Have you noticed this? I've actually had people tell me to my face, don't you dare quote Romans 8, 28. I didn't get that from Reader's Digest. It's right here. I mean, outside of eternal security, this is one of the most incredible truths in the scripture. Because we all go through pain at times, but why would you resist this? This is from God. It's it's wild, okay? So that's why I want to take a look at the next many studies. I want to look at and show you from the scripture and even my own experience, that listen, good really can come from suffering. When God means all, he means all, okay? So we're going to take a look at just three of those reasons today. The first good reason that God on purpose will allow a challenge to come your way, Christian, is to expose your sin nature. Woo-hoo! Yeah! Yeah, see, we don't like that. But it needs to happen. For our good, right? Because that's what God says. And this is actually, believe it or not, what Paul had to go through. The amazing Paul, yes, had to go through this. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Well then, Paul says, am am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not, right? God's law is holy. It's righteous. What's the problem? It's not the law. It's the sinful nature, the old man. He says, no, the law is not sinful, he says. He says, but it was the law that what? Showed me my sin, Right? I never would have known what coveting that it was wrong if the law had said, do not covet. And isn't that that rebellious nature, the old man that's in us? As soon as you say, don't do it, what do you want to do? Oh, yeah, I want to do it. 
Right? That's what Paul says. He thought he was cool. He had it all together, man. He was this righteous Pharisee, right? He, had a, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, man. He had it going, but... Oh! Why'd you have to say that, God? Have you ever done that when you get into, uh, as a Christian? Right? And, you, and you start reading the Bible as a young Christian. All of a sudden you go, oh, I didn't know why he wasn't supposed to do that. You know why the enemy wants to keep you out of the Bible? So this procedure will never happen. Because the word of God convicts us. He, it matures us. It exposes the weaknesses we have. Why? So God can turn them into strengths. But if you don't submit and you don't read the word, then that never happens. And if we're honest with ourselves, folks, this is the same thing that goes on with us. Paul didn't know the depths of the sin. He didn't know the areas he needed to work on until the law of God caused it to spring to life. And folks, I don't know if you've learned this or not, but it's when you and I encounter difficulties in life, we find out what we're made of, don't we? I've used this before. It's like the sponge analogy. How many guys have ever taken that sponge on the sink, man? And it's just all grubby. It's been there for, well, since the first year you got married, 13 years ago, or whenever that was. You remember that thing? And then you get up every morning and you lick it. Uh, no, now I got your attention. No. <laughs> this thing is gross, right? All right, but you, you got the sponge thing. What's the sponge do? What's the whole purpose of the sponge? Right? There's a mess, right? And you, you wipe it up. It looks like, hey, it all disappeared. No, you want to see what somebody wiped up? What do you do with the sponge? You squeeze it. Oh, it was red Kool-Aid. Right? Or gravy or something. I don't know what it was. Maybe both. Okay. <laughs> we think sometimes as Christians, oh, man, we're awesome. God is so fortunate to have me. Yeah. You get that place, you oh, I know everything about the Bible, man. Everything's incredible, right? right the sponge on the outside looks awesome. You know what God does? He purposely allows some difficulties. You know what happens? It squeezes us. And you know what happens? The sin nature comes out. Right? Oh, you're not so wonderful now, are you? Right? Oh, you thought you had it all under the surface really good. But God, on purpose, out of love, out of wisdom, in his sovereignty and providence of control, said, I can't get you to admit it on your own. You're not listening to my word, so what do I got to do? I got to get you to see this problem so I can fix it. <laughs> Right? Is that bad? No. That's how it gets solved. It's got to come out. It's like this analogy. This is one of my favorite ways to illustrate, to me, this biblical truth that even Paul went through. And it's a Christian brother uh, in China, and he describes the war back with uh, China and Japan. Listen to what he said. He said, during the first three months of the Japanese war in China, we lost a great many of tanks, and we were unable to deal with the Japanese armor until the full, uh, following scheme was devised. Listen to what they did. They said a single shot would be fired at the Japanese tank by one of our snipers. And, of course, it sounded just like that. <laughs> so a single shot would be fired by one of our snipers in the ambush. Now, now, they would purposely wait a considerable pause. And then you make the noise. The second shot would be fired right at the tank, right? And then after further silence, another shot would be fired, okay? Well, now it bugged the tank driver. And the tank driver, eager to locate the source of the disturbance, listen, would open the lid, pop his head out to see what's causing this noise. The fourth shot was carefully aimed to take him out. And he says this, as long as he remained undercover, he was perfectly safe. The whole scheme was devised to bring him out in the open to do away with him. Isn't that wild? And folks, I see this happening to us spiritually all the time. How many times do we have these shots of life flying out? There's all these problems. Oh, not again. And we're doing pretty good for a while because, especially on Sundays, you've got to put on that act. <laughs> I'm super. I'm incredible. I have no problems. You ever do that as a Christian, right? You just ran over your cat. Your house is on fire. And somebody comes and they ask you the question, hey, brother, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Liar. <laughs> No, but you have these problems coming firing at you, right? And you think you're going, but all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe it's the fourth one. Maybe it's the 40th one. I don't know where you're at, but it was the first one. I don't know, but all of a sudden, ah! here comes the sin nature. And even though it's humbling and it's painful to endure, listen, the poison becomes the cure. God knows what he's doing. He's not being a big meanie. He's trying to strengthen us. We're not responding on our own. And he sees what we can't see. He sees the areas we need to grow. So out of love, out of incredible wisdom, his sovereignty, providential control, he'll allow, I don't care how many shots, even if it takes him 400, it's coming out.
but it's for our good. A good, wonderful, loving purpose. Because when, listen, it comes out, guess what? Then, hopefully, we respond correctly. God, would you please forgive me? God, I repent of that. God, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And guess what happened? You just grew closer and stronger in your walk with Christ. All because why? God allowed something to expose the problem. Okay? That's the first wise good reason. Okay, the second one, this one I think should be pretty obvious, okay? Uh, why does he allow that hard time to come on purpose? Uh, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy. Okay? Now, folks, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, we have become a seriously lazy, lazy, lazy culture. Has anybody noticed that? Okay, in fact, if you don't believe me, listen to this guy. I think it exposes just how bad uh, it's gotten in our culture. Let's take a look at this. Lazy technology, the electric toothbrush. That always made me laugh. The electric toothbrush. What, is brushing your teeth too strenuous an exercise for some people? Got people going. feeling the burn here. Wish this thing had a motor on it. Why don't you just have electric deodorant? But last year for Christmas, I got the laziest gift for my kids. They got me an alarm clock that projects the time onto the ceiling. Because you all know how hard it is to go. No, no, this has got to stop right here. This is why I need a Red Bull. This is taking it all out of me. Lazy folks, huh? We are all lazy. You guys ever be putting gas in your car? And you know that little latch, that little kickstand that holds the thingy? Don't you hate it when that's broke? Don't you hate it? Doesn't that just ruin your day? You're there going, oh, no! I got to hold it now? Come on! What are we, in the Middle Ages? Let's go! I'm getting carpal tunnel over here. I want to sit in the car while it was pumping. Listen to my motivational tapes. <laughs> that ain't happening. Pumping gas, man. You guys ever prepay your gas? You give them like 10 bucks and they set the pump for you? Boy, that goes real fast into that last gallon for some reason. What's that all about? You're like, one dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four dollar, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine dollars and ninety-one cents. Nine dollars and ninety-one and a half. Like, keep your eight cents. I got things to do. Now, folks, does that ring true or what? Man, we have been conditioned to become so L-A-Z-Y lazy, okay? And here's the problem. We can laugh about it all we want, okay? But a lazy mentality is not just detrimental in the physical realm. Oh, we'll talk about that all day long. Oh, hey, you got to get off the couch. You got to do this. You got to exercise. You got to... Don't be lazy. But, folks, I'm telling you, it spills over in the spiritual realm. And it'll affect you spiritually way worse than the physical realm. In fact, don't feel alone, just like with Paul on the first point. The Israelites did the same thing, okay? If you want to realize what I think is happening to the American church, read the book of Judges, man. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And even individually in our walk with Christ. And this is what happened to them. Judges chapter 2, verse 18 through 19. Now, they had already gone into the promised land. Things were great, but things went to go downhill. Then things would go great for a while, then they go downhill. Then they go great for a while, then they go downhill. The seesaw effect. And here's what God would do, okay, to get him out of the hole. Whenever the Lord placed a what? A judge over Israel. He was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime, okay? Things are great. Here's your leader leading you on the way out. Woohoo! right? But when the judge, what? Died, then the people says, are you kidding me? I learned my lesson. I'm never going back there again. I don't need somebody to show me the way out. Woo! Wrong translation. The people, what? 
As soon as the guy disappeared, i.e. died, you went right back to the hole again, didn't you? You went back to your corrupt ways, okay? And when the Israelites would stop seeking God, they always got into trouble. Same thing with you and I, okay, when we stop seeking God, okay? They cry out to God. God loves us. Does God love his children? Not just Israel, but the church. He loves us too, okay? And so guess what? When we get into a ditch, what's he do? He loves us enough, he, and out of mercy, he, he saves them, and he'll, he'll, he'll deliver us. It could be uh, through a circumstance, or a person could help us out, or, or something spiritually like what's going on. He'll raise up a leader. He'll encourage us. He'll do whatever he's going to do. But as soon as the troubles were gone, and as soon as the judge was gone, what did they do? Bang. Went right back, and guess what happened? Bang. It's like, how many times you got to go like this? How many times you got to go like this? Okay? They got spiritually lazy. They went right back to their evil ways. And folks, I'm telling you, if we're honest, we do the exact same thing right? When things are going smooth, right? We made it through that hard time. Woohoo! Life is good. God's blessing us. He pulled us out of that mess. Yeah! Woo! Right? And so what we do is say, oh man, that's the last time I ever do that. I'll never go back there again. I'm going to stay strong. I don't need nobody to, uh, to crack the whip. No way, man. I've learned that lesson on my own. I'm going to stay tight with Jesus at all times, not just in the rough times. Anybody catch on the sarcasm yet? Yeah, that's not what we do, is it? When times are good, Scripture talks about this. God, he, I don't have time to go into this. You read the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets. Over and over again, he says, man, listen, I gave you, I fed you. Listen, you were satisfied, and when you were satisfied, you became proud, and you forsook me. You didn't need me. You treated me like a little idol. Oh, times are bad. Oh, and you get serious. But then when I bless you, and I take care of you because I love you, you put me back on a shelf and do your own thing. And sure enough, you go back down. How many times are you going to treat me like an idol? Not Israel, us. They did the same thing, okay? So out of mercy, out of love, out of incredible goodness, you know what God does? <laughs> Woohoo! How does he break this cycle? Right? What is some of the times of our best prayer? Ooh, it's when we go through hard times, right? Now, we should pray like that all the time. But we get spiritually lazy today. And so God will allow difficulty to get us back on track. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's what we need. Johnny Erickson taught us. She says this. Now, if anybody has authority to speak on suffering, it's her. A quadriplegic for how many decades now? Who stated, listen, what she's looking forward to most when she gets to heaven is not new arms and new legs. It's to get rid of the sin nature. Here's what she says. She said, in God's wisdom and love, every trial... And a Christian's life is ordained from eternity past, custom made for that believer's eternal good, even when it doesn't seem like it. Nothing happens by accident, not even tragedy, not even the sins committed against us. Our pain, our poverty, and our broken hearts, that's not God's ultimate focus. Now, he cares about them, of course, but they're merely symptoms of the real problem. God cares most not about making us comfortable, but about teaching us to hate our sins, to grow up spiritually, and to love him. Every sorrow we will taste, she says, will one day prove, listen, to be the best possible thing that could ever happen. We will thank, listen, she said, we will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials he sent us here. She said, this is not Disneyland. This is the truth. Wow. Hey, folks, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, many times our difficult circumstances are God's loving way to shake us up out of that spiritual laziness and that apathy and get us back on track seeking him. And so you put it all together. I mean, is he just being a big meanie? Is he just trying to see how much I can go through before? I... No! He loves us. We're his children. And he is so good and so loving, so sovereign, so providential in control. He'll use unpleasant circumstances to get us back on our knees to seek him. I remember this when I first got saved. And just a natural habit, I was all alone. It was just a natural habit to pray to God on my knees. Sometimes after we get mature in the Lord, whether it's physically or even mentally, we get up off our knees. And we don't enter in with that same humble, dependent, day in, day out, seeking Jesus mentality. Remember when things were exciting? Remember when things were awesome? Remember when the breakthroughs were there day after day? Wouldn't it be awesome to get that back? You can. 
But spiritually, laziness messes it up. So you know what God does? You can make the noise. <laughs> and you know what it does? Woo! Hey, it's time to pray again. It's time to get serious about Jesus. Time to get busy serious. So is he being mean? No. He's awesome. He loves us, and he knows exactly what we need to get back on track. The third and final one we're going to look at uh, today is this one. This one blew me away when I first came across this. Uh, why does God do it? What's the good reason? It's to cause us to be a blessing to other people. God is so powerful, man, that he gets way more mileage out of our suffering than we could ever dream. And I didn't say this, he does. Let's take a look. 2 Corinthians okay, chapter 1, verse 3-4. through 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all who? Comfort, okay? Who comforts us in our trials so that we could just sit on ourselves and enjoy it purely for us in our little internal bubble. No, once again, wrong translation. So that we can comfort those and listen any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Folks, this is absolutely mind-blowing to me. We're not the only ones, the Bible says, who benefit from our suffering, right? I didn't say it. God did. What did he say? He said, listen, sometimes, yeah, it's meant for you. I'm waking, I'm, I'm exposing that area you need to work on, the sin nature. No, no, I'm waking you up out of spiritual laziness. But you know what? Sometimes... I'm not only going to use it for you. I'm going to use it for somebody else. And folks, I don't know if you've learned this or not, but I've learned this truth I don't know how many times in my own walk with Jesus Christ. And not just after being saved, but even before I got saved. Have you noticed that God will even use your past, your own doing, the rotten junk you did, even before you got saved for other people's goods? I, 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 I don't know how many times this, I would never ever wish upon anyone the horrible life i went through before i got saved the life of drugs and immorality and the selfishness and the just uh, the the demonic activities and all that stuff i went through in the occult and it was blah. but i can actually look back now and say thank you god now i'm responsible for it but thank you god for allowing me to go through that because you know what i've seen in ministry over the years Throw it at me. No, I'm not boasting, believe you me, because then I'll be back on my knees again. I'm just saying my experience, man. I got a messed up past, but God getting so much mileage off it. What's that? What, what, you had a problem with drugs? Yeah, hey, unfortunately, been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What, addiction issues? Yeah, yeah, yeah done that too. Uh, sexual immorality? Yeah, pff, went down that route. Slave of that stuff, that's horrible. Uh, what's, what, uh, oh, spiritual warfare? Actual demons? You got involved in some dark stuff? Oh, yeah, all the false paths out there. Oh, you tried that, didn't work. You tried that, that didn't work. You tried this, that, self-help. Sec- you know, yeah, I've been through that too. Let me tell you, the answer to every single one of those, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the way out of the mess. He's who you need, okay? I can look back now and thank God I went through all that, okay? And oh, by the way, he allowed all that to happen so I can get saved. That's good too. And here's my point. God has used not only my wretched past over and over again, Okay, to comfort other people struggling with the same things I used to go through. But listen, folks, it's a level of comfort. Listen, isn't it great when you go to somebody for advice or counsel? They sit there, and they have no stinking idea what in the world you're talking about. And they just stare at you. And they'll say, basically, here, take these two scriptures, call me in the morning. Next. No, no, no. You would rather prefer somebody say, yeah, of course you need the scripture, hello. Because you don't want to supply man's wisdom. But it's somebody that says, you know what? Man, that stinks, doesn't it? You know what, believe it or not, I know it may not look like it right now, but hey, I, I used to have to deal with the same thing too. But can I tell you something? There's a way out. <gasps> really? Yeah. His name is Jesus. And here's what he did for me. And you begin to, it, it's a level of comfort, folks, that only one who's been there, done that, wish you wouldn't have bought the t-shirt, could provide for that comforting for the other person. It's like this guy. There was a boy who had lost his uh, right hand, and he felt so badly about it, he didn't want anybody to see him, he didn't want to see anyone, nobody. Well, his father, he said, I'm going to bring in the minister to see him. And the boy says, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see anybody. But out of concern for his son, the father brought the minister in anyway. And listen, when the minister had arrived, the boy looked up and he noticed that the man had no right arm. There was just an empty sleeve. And so the minister came over to the boy and he says, son, he says, I haven't any hand either. I lost mine when I was a boy and I know how it feels. And because of this, it wasn't hard for the boy to get acquainted with the minister who knew how it felt, right? Why am I going through this, God? What's the big deal? Yeah, certainly for me, but you may not see it now. I, I say this all, a lot in counseling too. 
Listen, I'm convinced that you're not only going through this for you. Of course, that's a given. But I'm looking forward to the day in faith when God will take your pain and he will bring people to you with that same problem and you will have the privilege to tell them about Jesus and lead them the way out. He'll use you to be a blessing and a comfort to other people. Now, here's what blows me away, okay? Every single one of us have our own unique set of difficulties, right? Your problems are not my problems and vice versa, okay? But you put all this together, that means that every single one of us can uniquely comfort other people with the same comfort that God's given us, right? Now, you stir it all together, that means all of us with our own unique issues and all unique propensities, okay, working together can comfort a multitude of people in a multitude of situations. Isn't that wild? I mean, you talk about getting some serious mileage out of this stuff. God is so wise, he's so good, he's so loving, he can recycle our tears and take it all and turn it into a tremendous blessing to the people around us. And isn't that like icing on the cake? It's enough that he heals our heart, but he'll even use our pain to bless somebody else. Once again, Jerry, uh, Johnny Erickson taught us, she says this, she says, you're walking down the street you're minding your own business, and all of a sudden you're assaulted, right? And you're forced to carry this huge, heavy, heavy basket on your back, and, and, and you're ordered to walk three blocks, turn left, go two blocks, turn right, proceed straight on, and you're there, you're staggering under the weight, and, and you stumble, and you're, you're bewildered, and you're starting to get angry, and, and, and the weight of this basket on your back, it's crushing, your, your back is breaking, the whole thing is meaningless, it's haphazard, and, and you're starting to resent how you got this burden on your back, it's consuming you, and it's becoming the focal point of your whole existence, and, and about halfway down the third block, you, you're reeling under the burden, you finally cry out, what in the world? why you ever been there with your problems then the truth is revealed she says the burden you're carrying is your child injured and unconscious what and on top of that you discover you're not trudging through some meaningless rat maze but to the most direct route to the hospital emergency room well immediately you're straightened you you inhale new vigor, and your knees, they quit buckling, adrenaline, fresh energy, quicken your pace. You move forward with a whole new attitude. Why the sudden change? Because your suffering you're going through involves a relationship, and not just any relationship, but one with your child. It is the love you have for your child that quickens your step, buoys your heart, and your relationship now gives your burden meaning and purpose. Even your twisted path makes sense. You know where you're going. Your journey has a positive end, the hospital, and this instills hope. Listen, she said, suffering has no meaning in and of itself. Left to its own, it is frustrating and it is a bewildering burden. But given the context of a relationship, suffering suddenly has great meaning and purpose and value. Folks, it's bad enough we go through difficult times. Amen? But I'm telling you, why would we resist this wonderful biblical truth? What makes it even worse, what pours salt on the wound, what adds even more pressure on that basket, is when we think there's no rhyme or reason to it, and that is not true. In the context of a relationship with God, it's a healing balm to a broken heart that when we realize there are no accidents and I didn't say it, God did. Not some of the times, all the times. God has promised it's for a fantastic, wonderful, good reason. Otherwise, I wouldn't have allowed it. And when you receive that, Didn't say your suffering went away. But like that basket. And now you've been illuminated. Oh, it's my child. There's, there's, a, there's a purpose. There's something good in this. You get supernatural strength. I can make it now. Everything's going to be just fine. And this, where I started in prayer, is where I believe we had the most powerful potential to be a fantastic witness for Jesus. Have you noticed that when you're going through hard times as a Christian, I mean, you know you're in a fishbowl and everybody's watching you anyway as soon as you announce in the secular world that you're a Christian. But especially when you're going through hard times and they know it. <laughs> it's like they're just waiting for you to crack and be just like them. <laughs> just so they can mock you and say, where's your God now? But when we receive this truth, 
Because we're going to suffer just like they're going to suffer. Heaven comes later. But when we receive this truth, I don't know about you, but it gives you the supernatural ability to not just make it through, but to praise God, to sing blessed be your name in the midst of it. And that is a powerful testimony we need to get back for the lost. Amen? We'll close in prayer after this. good news is God's in control. If you belong to him, if you love him, he's going to flip it all around for good so that we can still bless his name publicly to the lost who do not know him. And like a moth to the flame, ask, how can I have that? And we get to tell them about Jesus. That's what God's up to. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. 
And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. 
if he would grant them what's called a pardon. Out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.